Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we come to you uh, because we are, as we just sung, we are desperate, we're broken, uh, we are in need of healing, we are empty, in need of being filled. And so, guys, we sang that last song. My, my prayer for us as a people would be that that rings true, that those were not empty words left on a screen, but that we sang that in truth because that is who we are, and yet, at the same time, we sung of the truth of who you are. You have healed us. You have filled us. You have mended us. God, that is the, the, the nature of who you are. And all of it is accomplished because of what we're seeing here in the text today. Jesus entering into Jerusalem, heading to the temple, knowing that in a matter of days he is heading to the cross. God, it's on the cross that we see your righteousness. It's on the cross where we see your, your wrath satisfied. It's on the cross that we see Jesus as the propitiation, the, the appeasement because of our sinfulness. And so, God, as we come and as we open up your word to us and as we're, we're seeking to be shaped by it, transformed by it, God, would you do a work in us that only your spirit can do when people humble themselves before you and sit underneath the weight of truth. God, so help us to see Jesus as king today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let earth receive her king. It's probably a familiar line, one that we'll be singing here probably not too long from now. But most of us are familiar with that one simple line because we think of that line, let earth receive her king, from the well-known Christmas song written by Isaac Watts, Joy to the World. Now, Watts didn't write Joy to the World in response to Mark 11. It was actually a song that he wrote in response to Psalm 98. That was the inspiration for that, that song that he wrote so many centuries ago. But what you find even in Psalm 98 has similar, similar parallels to what we read and what we're seeing in Mark 11 with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Really, his entry to the temple is where he was heading. And this call that we see even in Psalm 98 is this call to all of creation to receive the Lord as King, right? to break forth in this joyous song, to sing praises to make a joyful noise, Psalm 98 would say, before the King, the Lord. And now here we are now in Mark 11, the beginning of uh, the the final act of Jesus's life and ministry. Everything that we've been reading and studying up to this point has been moving toward this moment of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. We're we're here now at the beginning of of this final week in Jesus's life before he's heading to the cross which is going to be followed by his resurrection. So, so Jesus' death and resurrection, they're the, the, the pinnacle. It's the climax of the Christian faith, right? So now as we've read and heard read the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he's, he's arrived. The long-awaited Messiah is, is approaching to fulfill the mission that God had given him. From this point forward, through the rest of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is no longer ministering behind the scenes, no longer is he going to be avoiding recognition. This, this is a, a turn here in, in Jesus' ministry because he knows what is about to take place in just a few short days from now. The fullness of time has come, as Galatians 4 would say. He, he knows in a few days, at the end of this week, he's going to be betrayed by Judas. He's going to be arrested by the religious leaders. He's going to be tried unfairly and unjustly. He's going to be sentenced to death by a Roman ruler, and he's going to be jeered by many of the ones who are cheering for him right now as he 
arrives in Jerusalem. In a few short days, Jesus is going to hang on a cross with nails through his hands and through his feet, and he's going to bear the penalty for sin and the wrath of God because of man's rebellion. This is why he came. Everything has been leading to this moment, this entrance into Jerusalem to accomplish what he has set out to accomplish. And he's called his disciples from, from the last 10 chapters we've seen in gospel, uh, Mark's gospel that he's calling his disciples, those who would follow after him, to do likewise, to pick up their crosses, to deny themselves their very lives, and follow him as king. If we are going to follow Jesus, then we must pick up our cross as well. If we are going to follow Jesus, that means we must deny ourselves and follow him as king over all. Taking up our cross, as we talked about a few weeks ago, means that we are disowning ourselves, that, that we are giving Jesus our full allegiance down to the very depths of our being. It belongs to him. He reigns over it all. True disciples receive Jesus as king. We recognize his lordship, his reign, his rule over our very lives. He is king. Yes, he is. But Jesus, as we see here in the text, is a a different kind of king, isn't he? This, This text shows us this. He's a different kind of savior. He rules over a a different kind of of kingdom. And those are the things I want us to see today from this this entry into Jerusalem. And as we see, and as by God's grace, as we submit to them, we're going to find life, life as it was intended to be lived, in glad submission to the king who reigns over his creation. But the struggle that, that we're going to soon discover is that, and, and, and the war that we're going to fight against is a war against the flesh. This, this driving desire within each and every one of us that's within our own hearts that we want to be king. We want to be our own savior. As, or even as we see in the text, the desire to even begin to shape Jesus into the king we want based on maybe a misunderstanding of who he actually is. See, if we're honest with ourselves, our sinful flesh, if we have to have a king, we want a king that we can control. Right? We, want a, we want a king that we can manipulate. Right? We, want a, we want a king that, that, that is powerful, yes, but also one who does our bidding. We, we, we'll, we'll submit, okay, but only when I feel like submitting, which isn't true submission, is it? We want to we identify the problems in our lives, and then we want to snap our fingers at the king and say, fix them for me. See, so, so often we don't want a king, we just want a servant. And Jesus, though, is the perfect mix of two, isn't he? He is the servant king. But this is not who Jesus is, who we in our minds and our hearts truly want, left to our, flint, our, our sinful flesh. That's not the king Jesus is. Jesus is meek and humble. Yes, he is but also one who demands our allegiance. So, so will we follow him? The decision that we must make this morning is will we submit to him as king and submit to him as a king for who he is and who he defines himself to be? Will we receive him as king, not a king of our own making, but who he is? As I said at the very beginning, we've, we've, we've arrived here in Mark 11 at the, the final week of Jesus' life his arrival into Jerusalem during Passover. Most likely, the, the heading of the text in your Bibles that, you, that you're looking at this morning probably says the triumphal 
entry. This entry into Jerusalem is so significant that all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all record this entrance. See, with Jesus' entrance into the city, the, the, the die's been cast now. There is, there's no turning back for Jesus, as if he ever would have. Mark now devotes nearly a, a third of his gospel to this final week of Jesus leading up to the cross and to the resurrection. And, and there's going to be a lot that's going to that's happen during this final week. So much so that though we're entering here, we're entering the final week of Jesus' life here in October, you might be thinking we're nearing the end of Mark. No, we won't actually get to the resurrection until Easter Sunday in April. And so for the next six months now, aside from a couple breaks for Advent and, and for Missions Month, we're going to be spending the remainder of our journey here, journeying with Jesus through his final week, which is going to build and build and build. It's going to climax to this final time, this final entrance, this final time when Jesus goes to the cross and when he is resurrected from the grave. We'll celebrate that on Easter Sunday. Mark is going to continue. He's going to continue to lay before us the true nature of Jesus as the suffering servant king, one who demands our lives, one who, who's going to call us, as we've seen, to come suffer and serve as he had. So with this entrance into Jerusalem, let's rightly see Jesus. Let's see him for who he really is. Follow along with me. So you've heard, you've heard Jim read it this morning. Follow along with me, though, as we journey through this text again. Follow along, starting in verse 1 of Mark 11. It says, now when they, they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a, a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. And tie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. So throughout these, these 11 verses and throughout the remainder of the gospel, we're going to see Jesus as the fulfillment, right? We're going to see him as the fulfillment of what the Old Testament had pointed to, what it was revealing. So the people here uh, about to welcome him, they, they wanted a king. Yeah, they wanted a ruler, but, but they were misunderstanding what the scriptures revealed about this Messiah, about this king. And because of that, they at this point, they, they still are misunderstanding the kind of king Jesus was and is. And so we cannot make that same mistake. And so from these first six verses, we see this. We see that Jesus is a different kind of king. He's a different kind of king. This picture we're about to see is one similar to that of a of, of a conquering king who's entering the city. He's entering the city to the, the applause of the people, right? That he, we're, we're seeing in these 11 verses that Jesus is about to ride into Jerusalem on this, on, on, on this, on this donkey, on this colt. But, but what we're seeing a picture of is kind of what would happen oftentimes when a, a conquering king would enter the city. The, the conquering king, the conquering ruler would, would ride in oftentimes on a majestic horse, a powerful, prestigious uh, beast to, a, to, acclaim, to the claim of the adoring people shouting his praise. But see, Jesus is, yes, he's going to ride into the city, but he's not riding in on a, a majestic war horse, but he's going to ride in on a colt, on a donkey. It's a sign of humility. It's a sign of, of meekness. But at the same time, he is riding into the city to the, the shouts of the people that are welcoming him. 
And so it's, it is a triumphal entry, but again, not like one where we would think of. You see, Jesus is both, as we look at him through the lens of Scripture, Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. He's a different kind of king. Yes, absolutely, he is king, but he's a different kind of king, but he's the king we need. Jonathan Edwards, he once preached a sermon called The The Excellency of Christ. And he preached this sermon a couple centuries ago based on Revelation 5. Hear what Edwards said said in that sermon regarding the the nature of Christ as both the lion and the lamb. So quoting Revelation 5, verses 5 and 6, Edwards would say this. He says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep not, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed to open the book. So I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne stood a lamb, looking as if it had been slain. So, so in Revelation 5, John is looking, being told to look for a lion who is conquered. And he looks to the throne and he looks for a lion there, but he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. Edwards proceeds in his sermon. He says, a lion excels in strength and in the majesty of his appearance and, and voice. A lamb excels in meekness and is sacrificed for human clothing and food. Edwards says, but Jesus Christ is both. Because the diverse excellencies of both lion and lamb are wonderfully met in him. Indeed, there is in Jesus Christ a conjunction of such truly diverse excellencies as otherwise would be utterly incompatible in the same object. Hear what Edwards says. He says, There do meet in Christ infinite highness and infinite accessibility. Infinite justice, yet infinite grace. Infinite glory, yet infinite humility. Infinite majesty, yet infinite transcendent meekness. Absolute sovereignty, yet perfect submission. Infinite all-sufficiency in himself, yet entire trust and dependence on God. He's a lion. He's a lamb. He's a rock. He's a pearl. He's a mighty captain. He's a tender lover. He's a fragile flower. He's a mighty tree of life. See, Jesus is the, the perfect combination of both strength and tenderness. He is both the conquering king, yes, and the suffering servant. You see, Jesus is a different kind of king, but he's the king we desperately need. And with this entrance into Jerusalem, we see Jesus as the, the true ark of the covenant. Notice that Jesus requested this colt on which no one had ever written. Did you see that in, in the text in Jesus' request? Go, he sends a two, go in, find this colt on which none had ever written. Mark makes it clear that that's what Jesus requested. This is a symbol of, of sacredness. It's one that is worthy of a, of a great king. This here is, is similar to, to when the Ark of the Covenant was being returned to Israel after the Philistines had captured it in 1 Samuel 5. The, the Ark was, was not where it needed to be. It needed to be in Israel with God's people. And so the Philistines had it. And so God inflicted uh, these many sufferings against the Philistines until they turned it over and it was returning home. And as the sacred Ark of the Covenant was being returned to Israel, it was commanded that the animals and even the cart that would carry it must be animals that had never been yoked before. We see that in 1 Samuel 6, verse 7, when it says, Now then take and prepare a new cart, two new milk cows on which there has never come a yoke, and yoke the cows to the cart. See, just as the ark of the covenant needed to be carried by an unyoked animal, even a new cart, so Jesus here in Mark 11 is the true ark of the covenant. He required an unridden animal. 
the true holy one of God was, was coming to Jerusalem. He was coming to the temple. Jesus is the true Ark of the Covenant. We see here that Jesus is also the, the, the true and better David. You see, notice what, that, that Jesus takes the colt from another. Did you notice that? Jesus sends two people into uh, another town and, and, and says, hey, go take this colt. Someone's going to ask you, why are you taking this? And here's what you tell them. The Lord has need of it. So, so what, what's this all about? Like, is Jesus like stealing? Like what, what is going on here? Why does he just send people to go kind of take something that doesn't necessarily belong to them? Well, well, again, think back to Mark 2. Jesus in Mark 2 is having this robust discussion. With, with the Pharisees about, about the, the Sabbath. The Pharisees were upset because Jesus and his disciples, they were, they were plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath. And so in their minds, they're, they're looking at what Jesus and his disciples are doing. They're saying they can't do this. They're working. They're violating God's law. Why are you allowing them to do this? And hear what Jesus says and hear where Jesus takes them in Mark 2. And so it says, Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need, when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, listen, David was king. David was the great king of Israel. He was in need. And so what he did, he, he went and took what he needed. He's like, that's what kings do. What's Jesus doing here in Mark 11? I need a colt. I need a a donkey. He's the king. He's taking what he needs. Why? He's the king, but he's the true and better David. In fact, he's the gracious and kind king. He's not oppressive. He's not evil. He's good. See, what's he even say at the end of verse 3? He says, the colt will be returned immediately. Right? So he's he's a good king. He returns, but he's king. He takes what, what, what he needs. That's what kings do. Jesus is a different kind of king. He's the lion and the lamb. He's the one who conquers, but the one who conquers through suffering. But we also see in the text as we journey through it here that not only is Jesus a different kind of king, but we see that Jesus is a different kind of redeemer. Look at verses 7 through 10. And so it says, and they they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now long before this moment transpired here on that day, the prophet Zechariah spoke of this humble Messiah, this humble king who had come to save and redeem his people. I mean, centuries before, Zechariah said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous, having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, the people here surely are rejoicing. They're rejoicing that the the king has arrived and they're gladly shouting their their praises and they're, they're shouting the word Hosanna, which is a word that meant save us. Right? Save us now. And so the people are lining the streets and they're throwing their cloaks on the ground. They're doing so just as the Israelites did uh, centuries before in 2 Kings 9 when Jehu was anointed king. Listen to what happened there. It says, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. 
and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. This is a coronation right here. They're laying their cloaks before him. He's coming and he's accepting praise. They're shouting, Hosanna, save us, redeem us. And so, yes, Jesus is coming as the rightful king of kings. Yes, he is coming as the one who is righteous. Yes, he is the one who can save and redeem. He is coming and now proclaiming openly in the streets with the people that which he had kept more hidden until this moment. I am the king. And the king, he presents himself as the prophesied Messiah, knowing that this is going to provoke, this is going to provoke the religious leaders who already hated him, who are already looking for ways, as Mark 3 would say, looking for ways to destroy him. This is going to provoke them. He knows all of this is going to result in his death at the end of the week. But this is going to be a death that's going to be necessary. It's going to be a death that, that no one in this moment, aside from Jesus himself, sees coming. The people, his disciples even, they, they, wanted, they wanted a different kind of redeemer. They wanted Jesus to come in. This is what they were thinking. Jesus, come in and now overthrow our oppressors. Overthrow our Roman occupiers. They wanted a, a political revolutionary. When they, when they laid their cloaks down before him, they wanted a king who was going to come in and conquer over earthly enemies and establish a, an, an earthly kingdom just like David had done. When, when they shout Hosanna, when they're saying save us now, it's, it's, it's a phrase which they're actually drawing from the psalm, Psalm 118, a psalm of thanksgiving for God's deliverance from the hands of the Egyptians when the Israelites were in captivity. Psalm 118 says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of Israel. They're quoting a psalm that, that the, the Israelites, the, the Jewish people would quote and recite to remind themselves of their deliverance from their Egyptian captors. And so now here's Jesus coming. They're saying, save us from our captors. This is what they wanted. That's what they're shouting at Jesus in his entrance into Jerusalem. They were not thinking of salvation from sin, salvation from death, but salvation only from their earthly enemies. They wanted deliverance from Rome's tyranny, not sin's tyranny. Yet Jesus is a different kind of redeemer. He's one who's come to set us free from mankind's greatest enemy, just sin and death. An enemy that brings with it the, the wrath of God. Have you been redeemed? Have you been set free? Have you been saved through Jesus the King? And Zechariah prophesies of this coming King that he's coming. He's righteous, Zechariah says in Zechariah 9. He, he means that this is the King who is without sin. He'll be perfect in every way. He's the, he's the true representative of man who can Make us right again before a holy God. We need a righteous Redeemer because we are unrighteous. We are sinful and apart from the work of Christ on our behalf, we are lost and dead in our sins and we are unrighteous. See, we need a different kind of Redeemer. We need a Redeemer who has lived a life that we, we can't live, who's obeyed the law that we cannot obey, who has paid the penalty that we cannot pay back. Salvation is found in none other than Jesus Christ. Have you believed this? Do you believe this? Redemption is not accomplished through our work, but through the righteous life and work of Christ on the cross. 
It's Jesus who does the work in our hearts. It's the Spirit of God who awakens us, who opens our minds and hearts to see Him and to believe in Him. Therefore, we must, we must then receive Him, as I said at the beginning, receive Him as King, as the one who holds salvation in His hands. We receive this salvation that He offers to all through repentance and through faith. Again, I ask, do you believe? We see that Jesus is a different kind of King. He's a different kind of Redeemer. Lastly, we see in our text here this morning that Jesus establishes a a different kind of kingdom. Verse 11 ends this section, and if you're following along, when Jim was reading it earlier, like, it it ends anticlimactically, doesn't it? It it, it seems as though it's building and building, right? So he's, he's entering the city, right? The people are lining the streets. They're laying their cloaks down before him. They're shouting his praise, and then it just kind of ends, the language Mark used just seems to kind of build like it's coming to his final coronation in the temple. He's entering Jerusalem. He's heading towards a temple. And yet it, it just ends here quietly. It's a drastic difference between the first 10 verses and, and then what we read in verse 11. Verse 11 says he entered Jerusalem. He went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. It's done. Where's the crowd? Where'd they go? Where's the people? They're gone. It's just Jesus and his disciples kind of walking around the temple, taking a look around, and then leaving Jerusalem to go to Bethany, which is just outside Jerusalem. That's where he spent the remainder of the week. He was there, and then he'd walk into Jerusalem each day. Now, now Mark here is setting up for for things that are going to take place that we're going to get to over the coming weeks and months, but He's setting things up. So Jesus is entering into the temple. He's probably looking at the ornateness of the temple, the beauty of the temple, the splendor of the temple that had been worked on and worked on for for, for decade after decade. On the outside, he's looking at the temple. looks beautiful. But but Jesus knows as he's observing and looking at the temple, you can just just a little bit get the mind of Christ just by seeing his his pattern. He's looking at it all, and, and he's just saying they've missed it. They've missed it. They've missed the point of, of all of this. They've missed him through, through all of it, with all the rituals and all the laws and with all the religious observances and all the sacrifices. They've missed me. They've missed Jesus. You see, Jesus is establishing a different kind of kingdom. So it's, it's one that's going to be established forever and one in which he's going to reign over forever, but it's one that's going to be established and built through suffering and death. And those who will be a part of his kingdom must also come and die to themselves just as he will. But human beings, again, like I said at the beginning, we don't intrinsically want that. And so often we're more like the crowds than we realize. We, we love pomp and circumstance, don't we? Like we love the parties. We love the acclaim. We love the applause. We love to be a part of something big. But I don't want suffering. We love the spectacle but not the humility that Jesus calls us to. Again, where is everybody that was just proclaiming and celebrating the arrival of Jesus? They're gone. They've all left. As one author says it, says Mark is warning against mistaking enthusiasm for faith and popularity for discipleship. Jesus is not confessed in pomp and circumstance, but only at the cross. See, we love the the allure and and enthusiasm that comes with what Jesus can do. 
right? So, so we, love, we love the big Easter services. Yeah, we love the big outreach events. Like, we love those things. We love hearing amazing stories of God's grace and what he's doing. And yes, and amen to all of that. I'm not diminishing or, or, or putting any of that down, but we, we love those things. Give us the big events. Give us the big scenes. Give us the big thing to, to get us amped up, and then we can go. Like, yes, we love that. But the moment Jesus as king presses on us, the moment he presses on us to submit to him as king, the moment he says, come and die, all right, let go of the things of this world. Hail him as king of our lives. Scatter. Scatter. We don't want that. Just give me the excitement, please. See, the people here wanted a new kingdom, but not one Jesus was bringing, and certainly not the way Jesus was about to bring it through his suffering and death. Yes, Jesus' kingdom would outlast Rome. It's what they wanted to some degree, but again, a misunderstanding at this point of what that would entail. Jesus' kingdom would be built in a different way than what people thought. I love how Sinclair Ferguson says it. He says, We know that his kingdom was established while the glory that was Rome disappeared into oblivion. We know that what Jesus did in Jerusalem established a, a kingdom which would outlast all the kingdoms of this world and break in pieces every man-centered kingdom which sets itself against it. Jesus had come to take his throne but had committed himself to begin his reign from a cross. Don't miss Jesus. Don't miss him. So thinking through this, if you have a church background, this is a familiar narrative, the triumphal entry. But, but thinking through this, let's not miss Jesus through this. So let me give us just a couple takeaways as I, as I wrap up. Number one, does your life reflect glad submission to Jesus as king? I'm just going to let that one sit for a second. As you read through it again, does your life reflect glad submission to Jesus as king? If we're going to hail Jesus as king, that means we hail him as the one who has died for our sins, not as one who can bring us earthly glory and comfort. Like, would you gladly, as as, as Jesus would call us to, would you gladly and with joy give up all that you have if it meant you would gain more of Christ? Now, this isn't a call here to, to sell all that we have, but it is a call to surrender all that we have to him. Does your life reflect glad submission to Jesus as king? Secondly, we must see ourselves as citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We've got to see ourselves if we, are, if we are the people of God, if we are resting in the work of Christ, not in our work, then we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Meaning we must desire Jesus for who he is, not what we think he can give us. It means we must imitate God's love for the nations, not just one people group or political party. We are a kingdom of God party. And God is drawing people from every tribe and every language and every tongue and every nation to himself. This is the heavenly kingdom that we're a part of. And so because of that, we must imitate and share God's love for the nations to come and gather and make much of Christ above all. We must embrace the suffering that comes and from following Jesus, not just, to, not just show up when the enthusiasm has grown. We embrace everything he calls us to. This is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. 
Few people bowed before Jesus did, before Jesus had his first coming. But there is coming a day, and, and this was read even at the beginning of our service from Philippians 2, and I believe we're actually ending the service quoting it again, but there's coming a day when Paul says every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So a question here, though, is are you bowing to him now as Lord? I began this morning quoting a, a famous line from a song by Isaac Watts, Let Earth Receive Her King. I want to close this morning with another song written by Isaac Watts, a song titled, Jesus Shall Reign. He writes, he says, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. Blessings abound where'er he reigns. The prisoner leaps to lose his chains. The weary find eternal rest, and all the sons of want are blessed. So let every creature rise and bring peculiar honors to our King. Angels descend with songs again, and earth repeat the loud amen. He's the King. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning asking for your grace, asking for your mercy, asking that we would see you for who you are, God, forgive us, forgive me for when I try to conform you to the image that I want you to be. Forgive me for when I want to uh, just snap my fingers and say, fix my problems. Father, forgive us when we, when we don't gladly submit to you as, as King and Lord over all. Father, help us to see you for who you really are. May we not miss Jesus. So God, now as we, as we come, as we take a moment here just to reflect, as we take just a moment here to sit here, maybe just in the silence and to, to think and ponder, meditate upon the truth from your word. Again, we read your word because we want to be shaped by it. You, you are truth and you've spoken truth to us. And so your truth is to shape us. We are, as it was said earlier by Trevor, we're to, when we look at God's word, it, it reveals who we are and we're to be shaped by it. So we want to do that here. We want to be pressed by it. And so God, as we see you as, as the different kind of king, not the king that we manufacture or think of maybe oftentimes in our minds, but who you are. You are both the lion and the lamb. Guys, we look at you as a different kind of redeemer. Not one to just make our lives comfortable, not one to just overthrow our earthly enemies because we just want to live in peace and harmony and joy here, but that you are a different kind of redeemer who is common, who has conquered the, the enemy of sin and death. God, may we rejoice in that. God, as you have established a different kind of kingdom, it's not an earthly kingdom, it's a heavenly kingdom where you will reign and rule over all where people from every nation, every language, every tribe, every tongue will come and will be unified in the gospel of Christ. God, may we share that passion, that desire, that joy to, to invite and to go and to send and be a part of what you are building and doing. 